0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. So, um, we'll get this microphone dialed in in a minute. It's been inside of a dinosaur costume most of the week. Smells a little dino-y. Is that better? Coming in now, you hearing me? Good morning. How are you? Happy Father's Day. Day. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm older now. In my defense, what was happening in that little film clip, I was turning on the air conditioning. And you should never, you should know, it's a rookie mistake, you should never go on the platform during Vacation Bible School to turn on the air conditioner, because once you're there, somebody's going to call you out. So, but you got to admit, you didn't expect to see that this morning, did you? (laughs) Not not one time did you say, yeah. I did want to give you a couple of updates. Uh, First of all, just, uh, you have no idea what a big deal this week was. Uh, Just a few you know, months ago, thinking about the summer and vacation Bible school and construction and the destruction of parking lot and buildings to sit together and have our staff go, no, we're going to do it. We're going to do the full blown. We're just going to do everything we've ever done all the time. Just keep the accelerator down. And they did. They did everything and more this week. And one of my favorite things about Vacation Bible School here that I think is really unique, I, I think we had a, you know 150, 160 kids registered, but I think we had 150 volunteers that worked. It was almost one for one this week, and that is in large part to the fact that our junior high and high school kids crush Vacation Bible School every single year. Yep. So our junior high kids serve as counselors to our preschoolers down at Valley Vista and our high school kids serve as counselors to our elementary students. I want all of our high school kids that just knocked it out this week. Will you stand up so we can say thank you? Stand up. Look at them. Yeah. And post high school, Henry. <laughs> thank you guys. Great job. And these represent many others, and our junior high kids are in session this moment, so we can't quite thank them publicly. But when you see one of them running around, say thank you. Um, and then a couple, just another update. Uh, I, I checked everything, and I'm going to give you a comprehensive update because I know that you can't necessarily see behind the fence everything that's happening. But uh, as of right now, you have given almost just a tiny bit shy of $1.3 million towards this project. So you can applaud that. That means that better than 25% of the project is completely paid for. And you've committed a little over $3.5 million towards the $4 million goal. And so I just want to say thank you. God has blessed this project, and, and you've been generous. We, we haven't had any issues with supply line. We, we worried about that in the beginning. We worried about what we would find under the ground when we started doing the groundwork. And uh, so far, your prayers are working. Don't stop and don't let up. And don't let anybody know we talked about how well it's going, okay? (laughs) All right. Thanks for all that. Thomas Obadiah Chisholm, you might guess with a name like Thomas Obadiah Chisholm. He was born in Kentucky. And he graduated eighth grade. In fact, that was all of the school available to him and he graduated eighth grade, and uh, subsequently, when he turned 16, which was just a a few short years later, uh, he was called to be the school teacher in his little town. So with his eighth grade education, he began to teach the school where he had been educated and raised and and then he longed for a little more education and a little more training, and he longed for actually a work in ministry, and at the time it was very difficult to be credentialed as a minister, but Methodism was still a, a, a fairly new sort of thing happening, and Methodism provided for a way, through self-study and preparation to become an ordained minister, and so he became an ordained Methodist minister, and that was going to be his life work. However, he was in failing health. And because he had such poor health, he had to give up the ministry. And, uh, and actually, he never really found another career. He, he subsisted for most of his life. Because of ill health, because of a lack of education, he, he didn't have a lot of things he could do. And so he spent a lot of time just trying to figure out how to raise enough money, make enough money to eat and to keep a roof over his head. We're told that in 1923, he was doing his personal devotions. It's a story he related later. And he was reading in the book of Lamentations, and when you hear his story, you're kind of like, sure, why would you not hang out in Lamentations? Because you've got some lamenting to do. But he was reading in chapter 3, and he came across these two verses, verses 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. He sat down in 1923, and he wrote a poem called Great is Thy Faithfulness. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. And he was moved by this thought that even though his life is not, didn't have such a wonderful story, he, he thought about it and he said, you know, I, I have never ever gone without food or shelter and I actually feel really blessed in my story and in my life. And that's what inspired him to write that song. Not a guy who had everything going on and everything going well, but a person who had experienced at the most basic level the faithfulness of God over and over and over and over. These weeks that we have spent together from Mother's Day to Father's Day, which by the way, if you've been around a while, you know we like to talk about relationships between Mother's Day and Father's Day. We like to kind of zero in on that, and we've been talking about dysfunction, and it's such good news that the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were dysfunctional, amen? Amen. I mean, if the guys at the beginning upon whom the whole narrative stands were so dysfunctional, we have hope. And it turns out that if you're a human being and you live with human beings, then you have some dysfunction going on, Amen? amen? And God still uses us anyway. He's still redemptive in our journey. He's still faithful in our journey. We still get to grow. We get to mature. We get to make better choices. And we talked about Joseph's journey and how along the way he practiced some wisdom. He made better choices. He had a good attitude. We, we talked about the fact that he, ha, he, he, he allowed for some consequences in the process. And today we're thinking a little bit about the fact that he, uh, he had compassion and what that looks like. Now, it turns out that compassion is a hot topic It turns out that there's tons of research being done into compassion. And so I just start by asking you this. Are you a person person who is compassionate? Are you a person who is compassionate? Now, before you answer the question, I, I recognize that most of us probably here don't have a real good working definition of compassion. What does it mean to be compassionate? Thankfully, I've done a little research. More importantly, I have taken somebody else's research, and I want to share it with you. Now, this is what I like about this little piece of research. It comes from the Harvard Business Review. So listen to this. Researchers should define compassion as an emotional response to another's struggle that involves an authentic desire to help. It's distinctly different from a closely related word, empathy. Empathy is the sensing, feeling, detecting, and understanding component. Did my voice just get richer and deeper? Researchers define compassion. (laughs) (laughs) Empathy is the sensing, feeling, detecting, and understanding component. But compassion goes beyond empathy by taking responsive action. If you think of it like this, empathy plus action equals compassion. Now, I love this sentence. I love it because it makes absolutely no sense, but it sounds incredibly intelligent. I'll make it make sense in a second. In our research, we curate empirical evidence on topics that people often regulate to the domain of soft skills. We examine moral, ethical, and emotional sentimental concepts like compassion through the lens of science. In the health industry, for example, our results show that compassion matters not only in meaningful ways, but also in measurable ways. So what they're saying is this: we all thought that being a good human being was a soft thing. We thought it was sentimental. We thought the real measure of of worth was something that was about, you know, statistics and money and and, and status and things that we could measure and get our hands around. But what we're finding is that it's actually these soft things viewed through the lens of science that are not only meaningful, they're actually measurable in the world of science and in the world of business. Who knew that being a good human on the inside mattered? Jesus had a hint about it. The whole biblical story sort of centers on that soft, sentimental thing. But the sciences are catching up. They're catching up. They're not there yet, but they're catching up. One finding was especially striking among healthcare workers, showing more compassion is associated with less burnout. That is, compassion can have powerful beneficial effects not only for the receiver of compassion, but also for the giver. Our latest research extended these findings beyond the healthcare industry to everybody everywhere. Rigorous research supports that being a giving other listen to this sentence. Harvard Business Review. Rigorous research supports that being a giving, others-focused person is linked with longer life and can buffer the effects of stressful events on mortality risk. Specifically, kindness can reduce risk factors for cardiovascular disease, including counteracting high blood pressure. Kindness and compassion may also help us maintain vitality and cognitive function as we age. Who knew? Who knew? (laughs) It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Are you a person of compassion? Not just empathy, but actual compassion. Empathy plus action equals compassion. In research called, from, called The Potential Project, authors Nick Hobson and Paula Kelly talk about this issue of empathy and compassion. In times of crisis and social unrest, compassionate leadership can unify us as human beings like a glue that binds us together in times of unrest. Without it, we become lonely individuals facing challenges alone. Empathy and compassion are very different. They are represented in different areas of the brain. With empathy, we join the suffering of others who suffer, but stop short of actually helping. With compassion, we take a step away from the emotion of empathy and ask ourselves, how can we help? Here are four uh, thoughts about the difference between empathy and compassion. All right, are you ready? These are good. Empathy is intuitive, but compassion is deliberate. Empathy works in a part of your brain where it's reactive. In other words, you either feel it or you don't. You either have it or you don't. You either see it or you don't. You either get it or you don't. But most of it happens at a subconscious. The study actually says it happens at an unconscious level. You either have it or you don't. So you feel it right away compassion is deliberate you choose it and because you choose it you have to think about it and because you choose it you also are able then to decide to have it to decide to use it to decide to practice it you don't just say well I'm a compassionate person no you are deliberately choosing to be compassionate you don't only see need you actually want to intervene and make a difference and you ask this question constantly how can I help how can I help that would not be a bad way to live in relationship. That would be an, an amazing antidote for dysfunction. How can I help? I know you got issues. I know. I know. Ah! I know. But how can I help? I could parse out. I, I, could, I could try to get to the responsibility part. I feel for you. I'm empathetic because that part of my brain just got activated. I don't know why. I didn't think about it or choose it. But in order to intervene in your life, I have to be deliberate. I have to think like that. Number two... The study found that empathy is divisive while compassion is unifying. Empathy is divisive while compassion. And here's how that works. We feel empathy intuitively and we generally feel it towards people who look like us, think like us, act like us, believe like us, vote like us. We feel empathy automatically and therefore empathy has a it has sort of a you know sort of a backlog, and that backlog is this: Because we feel empathetic automatically with people who are like us, we also find it validating to, to vilify people who are not like us. Now you understand where this study's coming from? This is a business study, the positive, the positive product, and, and it was published in Forbes magazine, so that Compassion then says, no, I'm, I'm not concerned with just people who think like I think. I want to help anyone in need, anyone in need. Empathy tends to be divisive. Compassion tends to be unifying. Number three, the study found empathy is inert, but compassion is active. It's one of the things that I had to learn in ministry a long time ago. Empathy has a sort of thing that just grabs you, and and when you're around people who are in pain, you feel it, you know, you kind of share their pain, you kind of identify with their pain. It's inert. It just lays there. But compassion is an active part of intervening in the lives of people. It makes a big difference, which leads to the fourth finding. Empathy is draining, but compassion is regenerative. I think so many of us stop at empathy because it's draining, And we don't think we can do the next thing. We're so tired from the empathy that we don't feel like we can take the next step into the compassion. And so we don't. But empathy is draining while compassion is regenerative. And that's a big deal. It turns out when we feel like we're helping, and scientifically speaking, listen to this. When you feel like you're helping, your brain gets a shot of dopamine. Amen? That's the happy drug that your brain gets and so I don't know about you but I get tired I get worn out and I think oh man the world's a mess people are a mess people struggle what's going on I don't know I think I'll just sit here and feel bad I don't have the energy to take the next step but until we take the next step how can I help how can I genuinely help How can I take this from being a value in my brain to being a virtue in my life? How can I move from that intellectual assent, everybody ought to get better, everybody needs help, to I'm actually going to make a difference with the very real people in my life? Empathy is draining. Compassion is regenerative. Let's talk about Joseph and his story. We left off with Joseph. His brothers had come back into Egypt in, 40, in chapter 45, now we have this scene where they've been taken to Joseph's house, and they've been fed. They still don't know who Joseph is, but now all of the brothers are there, uh, and uh, Benjamin has joined them. And, and uh, we, we find Joseph comes into the room, and he's overcome with emotion. He, he, he can't contain it any longer. He can't keep up the charade. And we're told that he, he sends everyone out of the house except for his brother's. And him, and he begins to weep, and it must have been quite a scene. The weeping is loud enough, and it's demonstrative enough that 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 the servants outside the house hear it. They go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hears about it. Uh, there's a lot going on. Whatever the emotional thing that's happening, and Joseph now reveals himself to his brothers, and he says, it's "Me, it's me, it's Joseph, and and I'm here, and it's the for real." And and we're told that in this moment, his brothers are terrified. And he seeks out his younger brother, Benjamin, and he throws his arms around Benjamin, and they're weeping together. It's quite a scene. It's quite a scene going on. And there's this moment of this reconciliation that's taking place, and that Joseph, who has the power, is choosing to show compassion to his brothers. And he tells them right up front, you don't need to be afraid. What you intended for evil, God is using for good. In fact, I I wouldn't be at all surprised if this whole thing was a part of God's great plan just so that you could be sustained and and the people of Egypt and all the surrounding areas could be sustained during this famine. I mean, think of all the good that's come out of this. Think of all the people that are going to not starve to death because you sold me into slavery and God used that in mighty ways. Who knows that God engineered the whole thing? And so. Let's just forgive each other, and let's move on, and let's do something good. And so here's what I'm going to do. I want you to go back, and I want you to get my father, and I want you to bring him and all your wives and all your children and all the grandchildren, and we're going to, I'm going to give you the best of the land, the land of Goshen for your home and for your family. And that sounds great, and there's a plan. And, and about that time, Pharaoh knocks on the door and says, Hey, we heard some stuff's going down in here. And so I'm paraphrasing some of this. And so Pharaoh comes in and says, these are your brothers. I didn't know. I didn't know about your family. I didn't know this whole story. So these are all your brothers. And you got people back over in Canaan. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to load up carts and horses, and and we're going to ship the best of Egypt out there. I mean, we're going to put the best food and the grain and whatever it is. We're going to send that over. And then once they get over there... Then they're going to load all those carts up and bring your whole family. Everybody's coming back here, and we'll give you the very best land in all of Egypt. In fact, you just tell everybody over there to leave everything. They don't need to move one thing. Just just load themselves and all your family and, and some food and come back because the whole wealth of Egypt is open to you and your family. You can just pick whatever you want wherever you want to live, whatever furniture you like, you can shop anywhere. Ethan Allen, you can buy anything you want. People are deciding. So off they go. And there is this great reconciliation that takes place, this redemptive moment in this incredibly complex story from this amazingly dysfunctional family i mean you don't look at the patriarchs and say i'm going to run my family like that you look at the patriarch story and you go i'm i don't i don't think that's a good choice i don't i don't think i want to do that i see five things that come out of this moment that i think matter to you and me when we think about compassion and we think about what it looks like number one compassion allows for self-disclosure when we live in an ethos of compassion, people get to be themselves. I'm going to slow that down because I want it to sink in. So Joseph, in this moment, even though he's the one creating the ethos of compassion, it allows him to say, hey, I am who I am. Look at what hat. Look at me. This is a part of our story. Yeah, you sold me. We're not hiding all the facts. It is all coming out, but it's okay. But it's okay. What you intended for evil, God's using for good. I think if we're lucky in our lives, we might have three or four people with whom we can genuinely be ourselves. Amen? Amen. Now, let's do a little demonstration here. Because <laughs> I, I feel like most of us live this way. And that is, we know who we need to be in whatever settings we are in. We have a persona. That we go, okay, this is work, so this is, my, this is my me at work. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Lord knows. You know, sometimes you wish people would. <laughs> we know who to be, That we know that there are people we hang with that they're just things we don't talk about. This, isn't, this is not that friendship. We can't, you know, I mean, there's certain people that you go, hey, let's talk politics. Probably not a, I mean, I don't know anybody to talk politics about, but just saying. But when you find someone with whom you can genuinely be yourself, there must be compassion present. I'm going to get better than I deserve. I'm going to get better than I deserve. I'm going to be built up even when I don't deserve it. Because they're going to help. They're going to help. It's action. They're going to do something that allows me to be myself in every sense of the word. Compassion allows for self disclosure. Number two, compassion overcomes fear. The brothers are terrified. And Joseph says to them, You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. I think we live in a culture that is rooted in fear. I I think when you talk about the anger and divisiveness in our culture, what is it really about? Are people that angry with each other? No, they're afraid. They're afraid of the implications. They're afraid. You you take the angriest people in our culture and you're looking at probably the most fearful people in our culture. And we're seeking to get control and get things under control. Don't you love the facade of control? I love it. I love to feel in control. You do know we're not in control, right? I think that's biblical. A man says, today we'll go here, and today we'll go there, and then we'll do this, and then we'll do that. God has his own plans. And they're plans that involve compassion to you and me. Always getting better than we deserve, and we don't need to be afraid. Perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Compassion overcomes fear. Number three, compassion sees the greater good. I could spend a lot of time right here. um, But I, I just want you to think about the reality that you and I have a chance today, right now in this moment, to step away from our circumstances and to see the greater good. Joseph, in this moment, miraculously... Because I don't believe I would have been as nice to the brothers as Joseph was to his brothers. Anybody else feel that? I mean, I might have eventually forgiven them, but I want them to suffer for a little while. I don't mind forgiving people. I just want them to hurt a little in the process. Amen? But somehow, Joseph is able to step... I mean, can you imagine these circumstances? I would have said, all right, boys... I'm going to give you some stuff. I'm going to give you a place to live. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of all y'all. But you go back and you tell our dad what you did. And until you go back and tell our dad. And he better come to me and I'm going to ask him if you told him. And you better apologize. Because there's trouble. But somehow Joseph has the ability to step back from this moment. I, I can only believe it is because the compassion of God has been poured out on him and he is aware of what he has received and so therefore he gives freely of his compassion and he can see the greater good in this moment and I wonder how many of us right now can step back from our circumstances and see a greater good now I won't ask you to confess but I will confess I live down in the details of my life you know Down in the details where you can't always see the forest for the trees, down where you're not always having a clear perspective, down where you kind of lose kind of what's really happening, you know. You and I are invited every day to not live down in that space. We're invited. I've used this illustration before because it makes sense to me. It's like you and I are on this great ship and we're going somewhere. We're on this wonderful journey at sea. And there's a destination that's coming. And we're out in the middle of this beautiful journey. And most of us are down in the bottom of the ship killing rats. Because it's the rats that are causing the problem. And that's where we spend all our time. Down in the bottom of the ship killing rats. We at least every once in a while ought to come up on deck and take a look around. We ought to enjoy the journey and we ought to know about our destination and we ought to, you know, get in a lounge chair and get some sun. We ought to have a little bit of fun and have a little bit of joy and have a little bit of opportunity to step back from our circumstances and see the greater good of our lives. Because you know what? We woke up this morning, we're breathing. And if you think that's just sort of platitudes, try one of those days where you don't know if you're going to wake up, where the diagnosis isn't great, where all you really want is a normal day of chaos. You know what they say. I think I say this. I don't know if anybody's ever said it, but I say it. Bad is good when worse comes along. Amen. You know, yesterday was bad, but I'll go back because today's worse. (laughs) If only I could be. You and I are invited to live in the greater good, to look up, to look out. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Number four, compassion shares resources. Joseph had something to give, and he gave it. You and I have something to give, and we ought to give it. What do you have to give? You, time, space, attention, energy, kindness, thoughtfulness, compassion, goodness, and it's good for you. It'll actually make you feel better. All of us have something to give, and we have it to give in all kinds of places. I promise you this. If you open your eyes today, you will have opportunities to share goodness for somebody before the sun goes down today. It might be somebody in your immediate family. It might be somebody you run into somewhere. It might be somebody at a four-way stop near Trader Joe's. But you will have an opportunity (laughs) (laughs) to show some good to somebody if you're looking for it, share the resources that we have. Compassion shares resources. And finally, compassion reconnects relationships. Has there ever been a more dysfunctional family than this? Here's what's amazing to me. This family right now in this moment is the healthiest it's ever been. They're standing in that room weeping on each other and forgiving each other and loving each other and dreaming about the reconciliation and the reunification of this family, and it's the healthiest any of them have ever been in their whole life, right now, in this moment. And compassion is an incredible antidote for dysfunction. I I hope as we've made this journey together that somewhere in there you've put this together. It's not circumstances that create the dysfunction. The circumstances can make it favorable to be dysfunctional. Amen? (laughs) It's something about the human heart that makes us dysfunctional. And the one thing that psychology and politics and activism cannot do, it can't change a human heart. That's a spiritual issue. And yet these things... Compassion, maturity, consequences, common sense, wisdom, good choices. They're an antidote for dysfunction. They can make a difference in your life and in my life, in your inner world, and my inner world. Right now, starting today, not one more thing has to happen outside the circle of who we are as we invite the Holy Spirit to do transformational work inside of us. God, would you please help us? As we celebrate Father's Day and we think about all the implications of what it means to be a loving, compassionate, good father, you've set the example. You've invited us into space where we experience the outpouring of your great love and compassion. And we're thankful. We're grateful for the way in which you deal with us. We're thankful for the truth of compassion and what it looks like and what it means We're thankful that science is catching up with the gospel, that that people are actually starting to say, you know, these soft skills are actually good ones to have, kindness and compassion. So as we sing again of your faithfulness, we invite you to change our hearts. We don't want to walk away the same way we came in. We... We don't want to be the same people we were. We want to learn and grow. We want to feed on your word. It's nourishment. It's real food. So would you do work in each life represented here? And if anybody in this place wants to take it further, wants to sit down with a pastor and and dig in and and do meaningful work, maybe somebody here needs to get referred out into a counseling situation and, and get some therapy and get some things resolved and fixed. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Lead us, guide us, change us, teach us. Would you hear our prayers in this moment, we pray? Would you do genuine work in speaking to the depths of who we are as individuals? We surrender it to you. We want to be like you. We seek you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said together... thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.